This show is presented by the Mercedes-Benz Tech Program. To learn more about Mercedes-Benz's world of advanced automotive technology, text the word Mercedes to 55678 or visit www.learnmercedes.com. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. Welcome to Bammers. The economic impact of Alabama football cannot be overstated. For the program itself, but also the city of Tuscaloosa and the businesses that rely on each season for their livelihoods. The loss of an Alabama football season would have cost the Tuscaloosa economy about $200 million. I spoke to Tuscaloosa Mayor Walt Maddox about what impact limited capacity and other restrictions had on the city during the 2020 season. Plus, how the city avoided a COVID-19 super spreader event after Alabama won the national championship and thousands of maskless fans spilled into the streets to celebrate. Later, AL.com sports editor John Talty talks about the impact COVID had on the Alabama football program. And then I turn to one of this city's favorite restaurants that only sets up for a few weeks out of the year to serve barbecue nachos on the strip. The owner of Big Bad Wolves Barbecue talks about what missing an entire season meant to their business. Ahead of the season, you projected the economic impact of no football season being sizable for the city. And thankfully, there, there was a season that was obviously a little different. I'm sure there are still a lot of data to work through, but how do you currently measure the impact of what we saw last fall? I think it, for our hoteliers, it, it borders almost on catastrophic. When you look at what they would normally have in, in room nights versus in a, in, a, in a typical football season versus this year, and our in our revenue collections, lodging tax is considerably down, more than 50% down thus far, and that directly reflects what our hoteliers experience. I would imagine there's some trickle down into then the other service industries that revolve around Alabama football. I think in terms of revenue for the city, it's, it's probably going to result in, you know, a million plus dollars of revenue loss, which means you're probably talking, you know, at this point, it's too early to say, but I, I would think it's significant. I'd hate to put a number on it, but tens of millions of dollars of economic loss, if not more. Uh, for the hoteliers and restaurants and bars that are in the service industries. Um, again, bars and restaurants uh, were probably impacted, but not to the degree of what hoteliers experience. Well, and so people hear that Alabama football is great for Tuscaloosa's economy, but I, I want to help people understand why that is. Uh, there are obvious things like restaurants and hotels that you mentioned and other hospitality businesses uh, making money those days and weeks, but what else makes it so good for the city's economy? Like, what are you looking at each game day, each game week that indicates the impact that it has on the local economy? Well, it's not just eight days a year or seven days a year, whether you count, you know, that's if you want to count eight or not. It really begins on Wednesday and then ends sometime Sunday afternoon. So you're talking about 35 days a year. So one, you know, a little bit over one twelfth of your calendar is impacted by Alabama football. And so when you lose the ability to host these uh, events in your city, you're talking literally a month of economic, op of economic activity that's been compromised. 
and that's what you're you will ultimately see in our I think you'll see in our revenue numbers once they're they're finally collected and we have to, we have the final collections in. So there's no doubt that there's it's going to be a significant economic impact. But the the thing we again get back to control what you can control. It had to be done. Now we have to turn our attention to the recovery from COVID-19, and um, I think with the vaccine being deployed, this. This is an opportunity for us to make that happen. Well, and speaking of controlling what you can control, you pleaded with people not to celebrate the national championship win in person, and UA did the same. People did not listen. The strip was covered up again in what could have been a major super spreader event, and I'm sure that that was a stressful day knowing that was a potential thing that could happen and even light, likely outcome. What could the city have done differently maybe to, to stop that from happening? There's, I don't know of anything we could have done differently to stop it from happening other than um, the university not having school fall within 36 hours of the game itself. And it's my understanding that they could not move from their, their end. So we knew it was mission impossible really from the very beginning, but that didn't mean we didn't try. Um, you know, we certainly did direct messaging, um, athletics did direct messaging, the university did direct messaging. The city and the university worked, you know, hand in glove on this matter. But at the end of the day, your only option to prevent what happened was to be willing to put your officers in riot gear, be willing to use a continuum of force that would have been very physical in nature. And I don't think those are the images nor the type of response we would want to have in our city. We certainly didn't do that this, this summer when we had marches regarding uh, the, the death of George Floyd and understandably the need for people to express their emotions and fears and concerns. And in this particular case, we had individuals who wanted to express their um, celebration of Alabama winning a national championship. Now, we estimate over 5,000 people were in, came into the strip area. Uh, the maximum number of people that were in the establishments along the strip would have been around 900. So to stop that type of, of humanity moving into one central area, um, it would have been very, very difficult. And quite frankly, I don't think it would have been practical nor reasonable for us or UAPD, or ABC, who was also part of our team, to do that. Um, you know, uh, again, it's, it's easy for to play armchair quarterback, and a lot of times in this position, you have to make the best, worst decision. What happened was certainly something that um, I, I wish did not take place. At the same time, I did not want to see us engage in a use of force in such a manner that would have truly Truly, not a, it wouldn't have made the situation better, frankly. It would have only made it worse. Well, and to be clear, Tuscaloosa has avoided a spike in connection with that celebration, correct? That's correct. And the university did the university um, did a made the very wise decision of going to virtual classes during that two week period, which. We all had, you know, one of the things that we knew early on is that if we had what we anticipated with the win, first of all, you, let's get back to just staffing. 
to prevent 6,000 people from converging on the spot, you're going to minimally need 500 law enforcement officers in riot gear with heavy equipment. We don't have that many officers at TPD, period, and you certainly don't have that to dedicate to one block. Um, so when we begin to see the crowds converging from outside the strip area, uh, we pull back, created a perimeter, let it go on for a little while, and then once the party, in that, you know, began to get a little bit on uh, to the edge, TPD, UAPD, and ABC did a great job of dispersing. I think the crowds began to converge around 1040. The streets were clear at 1202. These are very, you know, challenging times. We've never had to deal with anything like this before, at least in my lifetime. Um, and, you know, there's a global effort to slow the spread of this virus. And, you know, all of us have to be responsible in the decisions that we make based on you know, what our responsibility is to do just that. Um, During peak COVID you know, season, everything went up in smoke. Is, we didn't know if we'd have a college football season at all. After some major conferences announced they'd hold off, the SEC pressed on. Alabama would play a conference-only schedule, and Bryant-Denny Stadium would reduce capacity to about 20%. My AL.com colleague, John Talty, covered the COVID impact on the SEC extensively, including how Nick Saban and the Alabama program managed to move through a tumultuous season relatively unscathed and win a national championship in the process. This was true for the entire country, and it almost didn't happen for a few conferences that started late. But with Alabama and the SEC, there was a lot of doubt as to whether the season would happen. The SEC stuck it out uh, more so than some of the other conferences, and the season did happen. So COVID was obviously the root of the doubt. But why didn't they think they would be able to pull it off, and, and how do you think they did manage to? Yeah, I mean, I think especially, you know, early on, you know, and as the months progressed, I think we just there was still limited knowledge around, you know, how COVID impacted people. Um, I remember, you know, in the lead up to uh, decisions about whether a season was going to happen, you know, myocarditis, which was, you know, inflammation of the heart. Uh, was a big talking point, And that was a real fear people had that, you know, COVID could cause that in young athletes and, you know, athletes could die from that. And so I think there was just, you know, still just a limited knowledge around it. And there was a lot of fears around, you know, potentially, you know, players, even, you know, young guys in their, you know, 18 to 24, you know, typical range of college athletes, you know, that they could get really sick from this. And certainly, you know, universities are worried we're worried about that liability of you know if we have a player die from this you know what does that mean you know not just for obviously that person and their family but you know for the entire uh, organization so i think there were a lot of fears around it and you know i think certainly outside of the sec those fears you know led uh, some conferences initially to decide not to play a season uh and, you know, during the fall and then some eventually came back and others, you know, now are playing uh, their football in the spring here. But there's just a lot of fear, I think, around the health concerns around it. And, you know, led for some very uh, uncertain months, uh, especially in the summer as to whether football is going to get played. Yeah. And in terms of those fears, obviously, you mentioned the heart condition that there were a lot of questions about, but obviously also people just catching COVID 
and, and they're being spread within a program and that basically halting any sort of progress that that team could make. And that would obviously have a greater impact on the conference and college football as a whole. But with like Alabama, for instance, it seems like they ran a pretty tight ship and that there were very few COVID cases, if any. So like how did Alabama pull off such a smooth season when you had this cloud of COVID hanging over it and everybody else? Yeah. So, I mean, they, they certainly had some guys who tested positive in the summer, um, which, you know, I don't think there was any intention behind that, but it probably worked out a little bit in their favor um, that, you know, if you had to get it, you got it before the season happened. Um, but I think when it came to the actual season itself, I think, you know, they were very smart. You know, they had daily testing, which I think helped, you know, root out any sort of uh, major issues there. I mean, I think we, we learned that, you know, with some of these programs that were really derailed by COVID, you know, it's the spread and it was, you know, the contact tracing that knocked out a lot of guys and led to games getting canceled. And so if you're doing daily testing, I think that allowed them to have a better sense as to, you know, what was going on and, and not allow it to kind of, you know, go through their program like wildfire the way it did for some of these other programs, even within the SEC. Um, so I think that was a big thing. Certainly they were smart about, you know, trying to enforce a so-called bubble as much as possible. And I think one of the things that really helped Alabama uh, are one, you know, Nick Saban is well known for his attention to detail, well known for his organizational skills. And so I think they had a very good organization in place to try to handle all these different things. You know, he's always it's kind of well known for kind of thinking about all the possible ramifications of really any decision. And so they had a good plan in place. And I think the fact that the season started out successfully, I think, helped them continue on. Whereas some other programs, you know, if you had some early losses, guys start opting out, it gets harder to want to stay in a bubble if you're a college kid and, you know, going through all these restrictions and not being able to do any of the fun stuff uh, that comes with being in college. But if you have, you know, kind of that national championship carrot that you can kind of use to keep guys, you know, staying locked in and motivated, I think that's, you know, very helpful. And certainly, with what Alabama you know, was playing for and ultimately succeeded in accomplishing, I think that helped you know them stay focused and and do all the little things they needed to do to try to stay as as COVID safe as possible. In terms of people testing positive, Nick Saban himself he tested positive twice during the season. Once before the Georgia game when he was going to face his former assistant Kirby Smart at home, it turned out to be a false positive. He tested negative. I believe it was three days in a row that put him in a position to get back on the sideline and he coached and never it didn't didn't have COVID. But then obviously before the Iron Bowl, he did test positive. It turned out he had COVID and Alabama had to play the Iron Bowl without him, which was just this huge moment during the season. It was a national story. What did you see, I guess, from the program or hear from what was happening inside the program in terms of like how the team was operating while Nick Saban was able to to coach virtually and, and run the program virtually, he still wasn't there in, in Alabama was able to to beat Auburn and have a successful week. But what what was something, I guess, that surprised you about how the program operated while Nick Saban couldn't be there? Yeah, well, I think one, I mean, it speaks to, again, I think how strong of an organization that you know, Nick Saban has created at Alabama, that even if he's not there, there's enough faith in kind of his lieutenants. Um, and for the Iron Bowl in particular, Steve Sarkeesian, who coached that game. But, you know, between all of his different assistant coaches who clearly were very bought into his vision and knew what he expected, and also just the kind of, you know, the individual player leaders uh, and the leadership committee, 
that Alabama has established. I think that, you know, helps keep guys accountable as well. So, you know, certainly I think if Nick Saban was not there for the entire season, you would see drop-offs. But I think for a single week, you know, there was enough built-in infrastructure of leadership to make sure that guys were being held accountable and, and reaching the same level of expectations that Coach Saban had. Now, he also was involved. You know, I, I remember hearing stories of, you know, he basically had – you know, I think I think back to uh, I don't know if you're an Arrested Development fan, but you know when they would have uh, you know the lawyer kind of wearing a headset, basically speaking, uh, you know, to the family, kind of similar at Alabama, in that you know he basically had somebody on the phone during practice where he's kind of barking out orders to. He's able to he was able to watch practice from home, and then he was you know, had somebody on the phone that he was basically barking out orders to to you know, hey, have this guy do that or tell that guy he's not doing enough. So you know, certainly uh, he wasn't there, so there was an impact in that, but. I think he was basically as locked in as he could be while not, you know, physically being there. Yeah, there's always money in the banana stand. Um, <laughs> exactly. You predicted, or I guess, you know, back when we were, you know, asking folks like you who work in sports media to make predictions on the season, you, you said at the time, I think uh, fairly, that you thought the season would start, but you were skeptical about whether it would end, whether they would complete the 2020 season. There were definitely hiccups for a lot of programs and conferences, but they managed to pull it off. And, and there was a season. Alabama was the national champion during the, the 2020 COVID season. Like, were you surprised that, that you know, not just Alabama, but that college football was able to pull it off? They had a full bowl season, all these conference championships and, and you know, the, the New Year's sits, et cetera. Were you, were you uh, surprised that they, they managed to do it? You know, I would say a little surprised, but I think, you know, one of the things I feel like I remember talking about it a little bit at the time is that there seemed to be a little bit of a moving goalpost as to, you know, what we were willing to tolerate and accept. And I think that's one of the things that was hard to necessarily uh, anticipate just because, you know, you saw certain people, university leaders, ADs, you know, all these different people kind of publicly posturing as to what they wouldn't and wouldn't accept during the season. I remember, you know, early on, you had ADs coming out and saying, you know, if there's no fans or limited fans, then there's no point in having a season and all those different things. And certainly, you know, people just accepted that. You know, I think early on there was concerns, you know, if anybody gets COVID, you know, we can't have a season. And obviously, you know, lots of people ended up testing positive for COVID and, you know, a season went on. And so I think there was a growing acceptance of of risk that that went on during the season. And I think, like I said early on, I think we we learned more, you know, and so early on, we just didn't know much about some of the different, you know, possible consequences of a positive COVID test. And I think as we got more and more data, uh, I think there was, you know, again, more of that acceptance of, okay, you know, this is not a great thing and we're still going to take every precaution possible. But based on the odds, you know, our guys are going to be okay, even if they test positive. And so I think you saw university leaders, you know, becoming more okay with some of that potential, you know, liability um, if anybody were to test positive, because, you know, as we know, from Nick Saban to, to various different players, you know, quite a few people ended up testing positive during the season and they were still able to, uh, to get through to the end. So those are some of the factors. And of course, you know, money was a factor as well in that there was a lot of money on the line and there was a pretty big incentive to try to get a season in. Well, that's my last question for you, John, is is the financial end of it. What do you gather just in terms of the financial impact that it had on Alabama? And Alabama obviously has a lot of money, but you have to think that having, you know, 20 percent capacity and 
having all of these things go away, like, you know, tailgating, banned completely, not having as many fans in town to pay for all of the different things that they normally would on each game day in Tuscaloosa. Now they're charging for a day, which they haven't done in, in certainly in recent memory, if, if ever, and they expect to have full capacity for the 2021 season. What, what do you gauge in terms of the financial impact the season had or the hit that the Alabama program took? And I guess, where do they go from here? Yeah, and I think to start, I mean, you're getting at it. I mean, I, I know that both you and Michael Castigran, they have done a good job of, you know, I think throughout COVID of kind of getting into some of the Tuscaloosa impact. And certainly, you know, th- that was a, a big financial impact, you know, just for the city, not having, you know, kind of all those people in town for the games. You know, I think in some ways we're in wait and see mode, you know, to see what Alabama, you know, when they filed their financial report uh, with the NCAA, which defile at the end of the summer and, you know, we typically get it, you know, sometimes in January, December, uh, in that range, you know, we'll have a better sense as to what exactly the total kind of financial loss was. You know, I know that uh, Alabama AD Greg Byrne said in a a letter to uh, donors uh, at the beginning of the season, they were, that they were projecting, you know, approximately a $75 million loss. And so, you know, just on paper, that's a, that's a pretty huge number. Um, like you hit on earlier, you know, Alabama does have money. I think that it, it helps that you know they they generate a lot of money through football. Um, the coffers were not uh, completely bare, but you know, no athletic department in the country was you know ever really even in your worst case scenario was ever imagining a situation in which you're just going to you know randomly lose seventy five million dollars off of your projected revenue. So that's putting every athletic department in a bit of a financial bind, but certainly Alabama uh, is included in that. I think charging for a day, which is a new thing, I think is probably one of the steps of trying to you know, recoup uh, some of that financial loss. And I think certainly the hope is that they will have full stadiums. And I think that there's a hope that there will be a very strong demand you know, for going to Alabama games this upcoming season, just because a lot of people didn't get to go this past year. So you're hoping that you can do different things like that. I'm sure, you know, basketball uh, having some success doesn't generate near the revenue football does, but, you know, that can help a little bit. And I think more than anything, you're just hoping that you can have a normal year um, as much as we can have a normal year of COVID continuing to impact things, because I think that can you know, really help uh, shore up some of the losses that they've had uh, over the last year. And I'm sure, you know, they've probably asked some people, you know, to, to help out if they can donation wise uh, to try to you know, maybe make up for some of those losses. Stick around for more Bammers. This show is presented by the Mercedes Benz Tech Program. To learn more about Mercedes Benz's world of advanced automotive technology, text the word Mercedes to 55678 or visit www.learnmercedes.com. Marsha McKinley is one of the owners and operators of Big Bad Wolves Barbecue. If you're an Alabama fan, you know where to find them. Tucked into the corner of the patio outside the Houndstooth Bar on the Strip in Tuscaloosa, but only on home game weekends. Best known for their barbecue nachos, with or without jalapeno peppers, Big Bad Wolves has been a game day fixture for years, and I can promise you that it was an essential stop for me at least once every season. But COVID meant no barbecue nachos for me or anybody else, and their future on the strip remains up in the air. I spoke to Marsha McKinley about how she and everyone else at Big Bad Wolves spent the last season and if we'll see them again in 2021. 
from August to first of December. I'm Mama Wolf at Big Bad Wolf Barbecue. When did Big Bad Wolves start, and, and when did it become a part of, uh, you know, their enhanced tooth on game days? Actually, this past year would have been year 22, and 22 didn't happen. So the first year we started uh, was 21 years ago, and we started at the Houndstooth. All those many years ago, right in that same spot when it was the old Houndstooth building. And then, uh, you know, as you know, Houndstooth tore down the building, built a new building, and we were right there with them the whole time. So, yeah, we've been, uh, it's just been part of the game day experience for a long time. I just have to think that you do well with the barbecue nachos and that it's something that, Y'all depend on seven weekends out of the year for, you know, part of your income, correct? Yeah, but but that's not really the whole purpose behind what we do. We've become family down there. Um, We have a lot of our, our physical family as well as church family, close friends, people that might need uh, a leg up. We have students that are saving money for school or need to just be around people because they might not do as well if they were not around people during uh, certain activities that go on at ball games. We have kids that need donations to go on uh, mission trips in the summertime. We have a lot of high school kids that work for us and in exchange for sponsoring their mission trip. We have this gentleman in his 90s that comes down there and flips burgers and he, he just needs to be with people. It has a lot to do with what goes on within our barbecue stand. As much as it has to do with making money, you know, God's blessed us so good that we don't have to have barbecue nachos or, or big bad wolves to supplement our income to live, but it has become a, a ministry or a way of life of sorts for us to help a lot of people. And we're able to help a lot of people by being there and by being family with a lot of people that we wouldn't normally get to interact with. And uh, it's a lot more to us than just a barbecue business. When did you learn last year that you weren't going to be able to set up for those seven weekends like you normally would every single year? When did it start to dawn on you that it wasn't going to happen? Well, we kept keeping our thoughts open about it. Are we going to be able to do this? But it was really, we start working, getting prepared uh, the first of, end of July. And we went ahead and made those preparatory things. We started, you know, cleaning and scrubbing and just doing all that prep work. We didn't order anything, you know, uh, stock on anything. But it was right up until August, like the middle of August, and before we finally made the last call that we weren't going to do it because 
there just was no safe way to do it, to fall under all the criteria that the health department had out there. It just, there was, there was no way to, to follow all the safety criteria and still be able to do what we do, you know, in the space we have and with the number of people and that sort of thing. So we, we, we really wanted to, but there was just no way. We couldn't do it. How are you feeling then? Because, I mean, it's such a big part of, of the Strip and Alabama Game Day experience, and I'm sure it's true for you, too, in that y'all look forward to it every year, and, and y'all have you know become a fixture, and I'm sure it's likewise. So how did that feel to make that call and to know that the season just wasn't going to happen for Big Bad Wolves? It was sad. It was really sad. That was the, that was the biggest thing. It wasn't. We weren't worried about the financial end of it because, you know, we knew we were going, we'd be okay. Lord always takes care of us and that was not an issue at all. But we were just sad we weren't going to be together with people. We knew that there were going to be people that were going to be affected by us not being down there. We were going to miss the camaraderie of all, all our friends and family that get together and the young people that depended on us for money for their mission trips and money for, you know, for different things, people that need to be together with other people. And so, you know, we tried to do some things to get people together and uh, some of the guys will get together for breakfast and, you know, during the year and, you know, call and see about each other and that sort of thing. It was just a sad time. It was really strange. We looked at each other and said, we don't know what to do in the fall. We haven't done anything but football in the fall for 21 years. That's a long time. My granddaughter said, maybe y'all could do something for yourselves, maybe? So what did you do those those seven weekends? Did you do something for yourself? Did you do anything? Like, what? what, what how did you spend your time? Well... Our son has a hunting club over in Mississippi, and we went over there a lot of weekends. We just have our camper over there, and we went over there and visited with our grandsons. We got to see them, and we had some good times with, with each other that wasn't working all the time. Spent time with family. You mentioned all of these things like mission trips and, and really kind of the social aspect of, of y'all being there and, and the service aspect of y'all being there. What kind of impact do you think that had this past season. We've heard from a lot of fans. Where are you? We know we're so sorry you're not there. Are you coming back next year? I mean, we have heard from so many fans who might be wearing a T-shirt in another state somewhere or a hat or something comes up and, and the name comes out there and they're like, oh, I, the best barbecue, I, my son was in Atlanta recently and was talking with this lady. And she said, oh, Tuscaloosa, I had the best barbecue I've had in my life. And it was Tuscaloosa on the game day. And he said, what would you have? And she said, barbecue nachos. And so he questioned her. And she said, it was at Big Bad Wolves. It's right there close to the stadium. And then she said, for the first time in Wherever we went, they were there. And then he said, that's my mom and dad's place, you know. We know 
you know, how it's impacted and radio, local radio station, you know, did a call-in show about so sad that, you know, Big Bad Wolves was not there this year and so on and so forth. So uh we know it's a big impact on, you know, because we were there way before food trucks and all that kind of thing. That begs the question. I mean, you mentioned it just a second ago. Will Big Bad Wolves be back for the 2021 season? Let's put it this way. We want very badly to be back this season. What does it mean to you personally, Alabama football in the season? Like when, when fall rolls around and you guys are gearing up to get ready to serve what y'all do and, the, and bring the tradition that y'all bring, what kind of special meaning, I guess, does that have to you personally? I feel like we've, we've built something that means a lot to a lot of people. I think it, we have a, a really good reputation with people. We try our best to be a bright spot down there, a good, wholesome place for families. And, you know, we'll see people that we haven't seen in years that'll come visit us and visit the people that work for us. And students from years through the years that'll meet us and see each other and it's like just a happy reunions going on all around us and it's just such a joyful place and when you're only open seven weekends you know seven times a year it's like everybody's so excited to be there and have their have their nachos again and everybody's in the ball game spirit and it's just a happy place to be. It's not like being at work. It's not, it's not like drudgery. It's not like, oh my goodness, we're going to do this again on Saturday. No, it's seven weekends. It's happy. And I think we've, we've built that, that atmosphere and we try to be as just nice and kind to everyone and make not only Alabama fans, but everybody that comes to our from other schools and other places in the country. We welcome them in. We make them feel like they're at home as well. And we just, you know, we just want to be that really nice, welcoming spot to students, to alumni, to families, and everything. And I'm just proud of what we've done through all these years. I don't know how much, how many more years we'll, we'll go with it, but... We'd really like to one day either sell or leave on our own terms and not have to leave because of something like this, you know. After the 2021 season started and when Mercer was in town, I walked up the strip and looked over to that corner on the houndstooth patio. But there wasn't any line, no nachos, no sandwiches, no mama wolf. Big Bad Wolves wasn't there. So I called Marsha McKinley the next week. She said the pandemic and the price of meat would sideline the pop-up restaurant for a second straight season, and that the price of pork had skyrocketed beyond what they normally paid, meaning they'd have to charge customers inflated prices to turn a profit. But Mama Wolf said they hope to be back in 2022. Thanks to Mayor Walt Maddox, John Talty, and Marsha McKinley. Join us as we continue our deep dive into Alabama football's fascinating fan culture on Bammers.
Bammers is produced for AL.com by me, Ben Flanagan. You can find all episodes and other bonus content wherever you get your podcasts or on AL.com. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thank you for listening. This show is presented by the Mercedes-Benz Tech Program. To learn more about Mercedes-Benz's world of advanced automotive technology, text the word Mercedes to 55678 or visit www.learnmercedes.com.